Welcome to episode eight. We got Jim Mafood hanging with us today. Jim's been a prolific comic book illustrator for the better part of 20 years. His style is a dope-ass blend of punk rock, hip-hop, and graph culture. Jim's put out some of the coolest projects around, from Spectacular Spider-Man to the comic version of Kevin Smith's Clerks, uh, his own adaptation of Tank Girl, and one of his first projects, actually Girl Scouts, is in the works to become an animated series. Not to mention the work he's done with musical acts like Merce and Slug, MF Doom, and DJ Z Trip, and that is just the tip of the spear for this dude. We had a blast catching up uh, about what life is like at the moment and what's coming up next. Uh, Enjoy episode eight of Cultivator of Weird with the great Jim Mafood. I know you like that. You want to try that. It's like a flashback. So shake your ass crack. I got the boss to rock the saucer. Funk the blueser. Any groove to make your move. Cause taking you to another landscape. Yeah, man. Uh, it's it's good to finally kind of meet you, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> We've met before at, at, did we talk at New York? New York uh, or? Yeah, yeah. We, I, I. I, I came by with my buddy, uh, my buddy Chad, and uh, who's strangely same name, and uh, he's like a giant fan of yours. I think he bought a couple books and uh, and, and a couple prints, and, and oh, cool. I ended up I ended up picking up a couple prints. It was the year that um, uh, uh, Jungji was there doing the live the live drawings for. It was like three yeah. years ago. It might have been like 2017. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds right. It, it, uh, it was interesting because last year at New York Comic Con, Jung Ji and his whole crew were set up uh, just right across from us in Artist Alley. So he, I mean, he's there every year, but each year we keep getting closer, closer. To, you know, and uh, I did Tokyo Comic Con in November, just last November, and uh, he was there and he was in the same aisle as me. So we know each other by face now. Like we always say hi. And I mean, he doesn't really speak English, but no. we have an exchange and shake hands and say hello. And and I always hand him like my mini comics and stuff. And I'm assuming he probably has like 10 versions of the same book at this point. Sure. <laughs> because I can't remember, like, I think I gave this to him, but whatever, I'll just give it to him again because I want him to have my stuff because I, I love his work. He has that, uh, I, I don't know who it is, but that that same uh, female translator that's his like yeah. manager that travels with him and she's super nice, but you can tell when she gets, she she's definitely got it down now when she gets to a certain place with people where she's like, okay, thank you. Okay, thank you. Like, <laughs> or she'll like take shit from people and be like, yes, of course. And then, you know, because he's, I mean, I, I don't know, man. That guy's, that guy's on another he's on another planet. It's, yeah. it's fucking weird. Like yeah, just watching of, him. One of those special, like uh auteur type art, artistic creators, like more of like a force of nature than anything else. You know, it's like, well, there's only one of that guy. Sure. You know, um, let's celebrate that. Yeah. Let's acknowledge that, you know, but I, those, those are usually my favorite types of artists. I mean, I, Guys like Mike Mignola or mm-hmm. uh, Jamie Hewlett, um, Ralph Steadman. It's like there's only one of that guy. Very and, particular, yep. And, and, you know, usually those guys wind up developing a school around them of people borrowing and biting their style and stuff. And that's, 
that's always a sign of, of like, well, you're doing something right when you are inspiring other artists to not only create and draw, but they want to draw like you. Yeah. So that, that there's good and bad things that can come from that. But, um, you know, you're on the right track, man, when people are trying to like bite your shit in a way. I mean, he's got babies all over the place. You can see his work in a lot of people's, you know, and in a lot of people's styles, but to effectively pull off what he's able to do. And I think many, many people can emulate what he does to a certain degree because they're talented, but to do what he does off the top of his head in any sort of setting or situation, I mean, you can just, just drop that guy into, you know, any background, give him a Sharpie and a fucking blank metal door to draw on. And that's, that's a door you're going to want to hold on to. It's fascinating to watch him though. Cause he just yeah. pulls these perfect vanishing points, perspectives, shadow, and then builds characters inside of, of I mean, I, it's, I'm not even doing it any justice, but Holy yeah. fuck. Watching yeah. that dude draw is next level. You're on the right track. No, it's, it's something special. It's something onto its own thing, you know. Well, you I love know, it. It's great. You're no slouch, man. I try. I, try. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to be one of those guys, like not necessarily on his level or what he does, but I, I'm, I've tried to be a guy that has his own style, his own, uh, I guess, branding, you call it. But like my work fits in its own world, you know, yeah. and, and that's where I'm most comfortable, like playing in that world. And uh, it's great, man. Cause like I can literally do whatever I want and it, it fits in the, in the tone and realm of, of what I've crafted, you know, yeah. it doesn't have to exist in, in this world and cars don't have to look like photorealistically drawn cars and, and everything just go, comes under this umbrella of me. Yeah. Oh, so that, that's been real fun crafting that over the years and I'm still figuring things out as I go along. There's no final answer to any of this, but it's always like a real fun work in progress. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's a common thing that you hear amongst creative people. It's like, it's, it's never done. The finished product is you getting, you know, exhausted or, you know, uh, feeling feeling like you're at a place where you can say it's well enough but it's never done you know even when because you i'm sure you look back probably at stuff that you've done a week a month or whatever it's out in the world now it's it's done but it's not that you would change something you know down the road but you know have you ever did you ever get into the war of art um i haven't read it everyone I know has recommended it to me, but a couple of my buddies though, were like, you know what though, man, you're actually, you're already doing like most of this shit. Like you already, and I don't mean that like I'm trying to brag or congratulate myself, but the pitch that I heard about the book is a lot of it is like, well, I sort of figured out the main ingredient and the main theme of the book early on, which is, if you're going to be a weirdo and develop your own style, you also sort of have to become your own uh, cheerleader for your work and, and, and salesman of your work because you're already sort of fighting an uphill battle. Yeah. 
Um, if you know how to do that without becoming like a cocky asshole, that's a huge advantage. And, and I've never had much problem with like the whole discipline, getting the work done part of this lifestyle, man. I was always like a, a, a even as a kid, like I always wanted to get away from my family because they annoyed me and seal myself <laughs> off in my room, listen to loud music and draw. And yeah. so when it came time to figure out how to do that as a living, the locking myself in the room, turning on loud music, drawing part was, it was already done. A problem. Yeah. 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 That's, that's a joy. And that's, that's still what I do every day. And, and that part of it is like uh, a treat. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the whole ethos. If you, if you will call it that of this, of this project that I've been putting together now is, is talking to people that are very comfortable, uh, letting the work speak and locking themselves in rooms. And the, the whole point is like, these are fucking interesting people with interesting stories and they create really fucking dope work and no one ever hears from them, you know? So it's like, and I, I know I'm not the first person to kind of tap into this, but it's been an interesting process. And the only reason I brought that up is because Jung Ji came up and you were talking about your work and that book is it does come off a little self-helpy at times and it does have like a salesman pitch kind of bravado to it uh, in moments. But there's also some really insightful points in the book about how, you know, I mean, and it's, they, they can get a little woo woo with like the Bhagavad Gita and, and all this other shit. But, you know, there's one moment where he's, he's, you know, he's talking about how real artists um, when they force themselves to work, the, the universe just kind of repays the effort in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. um, if you're, if you're fucking grinding it out day in and day out, you force yourself to wake up, get through those fucking terrible first 20 minutes. And then, you know, six or eight hours or 12 hours goes by the universe rewards that. And one of the other things that he said that was, I mean, very insightful. I still kind of like walk around with this and wonder whether or not, how, how valid it is, but he says that um, a, 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 all of the ideas are kind of out there in the ether. And when you're ready to find them and grab them, they come to you. And that's where a lot of that shit comes from. I also think it's life experience and everything else, but like, it kind of makes sense that you would develop skills to a point and tastes to a point. And then the ideas kind of just, there's that lightning bolt, right? which right. is your style and, and the, the, the whole, you know, punk rock, hip hop and all of that coming together is, I, I mean, it, I don't know how much truth you can or belief you can uh, render to it, but I mean, it's, it's interesting if it, if yeah. nothing else. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's okay to have elements of uh, maybe slight self-help stuff in there because, because artists and choosing a freestyle freelance lifestyle, it, it is a strange thing to do yeah. and, and and spending a lot of time alone. I mean, some of that might not be the healthiest thing. So it, it is sort of like you have to have these daily affirmations to yourself to, to kind of know what you're doing, what direction you want to go in. I'm, I've had 23 years of this. So like, I'm, I'm good. But um, since the quarantine started, like I've actually been a bit more disciplined with my daily schedule where I've just developed a routine, man, where I basically do the exact same thing every day. I wake up at the same time. 
I go for a jog. I'm in the studio drawing at the same time. I have a project going on that's um, I'm working with a team to do an animated thing. And so I'm have my time every day where I talk to those people. That's like my socializing. Yeah. But it's actually been beneficial for me, man, to have a pretty like structured, um, very specific routine. Yeah. And, and it's, I don't, I don't question things. Like I don't have a uh, self doubt because yeah. I'm, I'm just in it. And then I allow myself these breaks to, you know, go for a walk or uh, watch a movie at night. Obviously like you don't want to work from the more, the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. But uh, when it is time to work, having that as a structured thing is really beneficial. And like, I have the phone on the other side of the room. I'm not checking the phone or the internet or anything. It's just, okay, this is the time to do the work now. Yeah. And it, it feels good. It feels like the right thing to do. Yeah, man. I remember, did, did you ever, <clears throat> did you ever watch the uh, Frazetta documentary when that came out? It was yeah. years yeah. ago. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't believe, I mean, it made more sense after I thought about it for a while, but the fact that that dude would just like put off deadlines and put off deadlines and put off deadlines and then paint for like 24, 72 hours straight and just whip this shit out so that he could play baseball all day or like go and drink beers with his buddies. It's just such, it's such like a, I don't know. It, it was like the Mad Men story of, of, you know, artists back in that day of like, uh, just you know, he was probably just so naturally gifted. He knew he could fucking get yeah. it. It's amazing. Uh, as it was such a great avenue to go down for that that I totally didn't expect. It was yeah. awesome. Yeah, and you know, every artist has their own approach, their own schedule, their own routine, and it's it's that's your mission as a creative person is to figure out what you want to do and, and how it applies to you, what works best for you. Yeah. Some people like the, the pressure of all nighters and, and last minute kind of stuff. And um, for me, it's like, I know how long it takes me to do things. So like, I don't want to pull an all nighter. So when I get approached to do a job, like I know if the deadline and the budget works for me, then I can do it. If not, yeah. I don't want to have to like, get sick staying up two days in a row making a, a piece of art, you know, it just, I don't know. That's, that, that's like uh college days type shit for me. You know what I mean? Like totally. I figured things out uh, and I, I kind of know how, how all this stuff uh, work, works for me. It's also just such an uneasy feeling in uh, an unnecessary one to know for sure that you can do something better than what you've just done just specifically because you were limited on time, you know, that there's no worse feeling than handing something over. That's like 60 or 70% there. And you know, you're just giving it away because it's like, ah, well, this is the time that you set, which is just such an arbitrary thing. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. Uh, the way that the, you know, the client kind of capitalist, uh, uh, our archetype and structure is kind of like bled into all forms of, of art in one way or another. But I guess if you want to make a living, you kind of got to play ball with it at some yeah. point, you know, that that's a, that's a whole other challenge and, and kind of um, it's weird, man, because, you know, every creative person has to figure out what their work is worth. Mm-hmm. And that 
that's an odd idea that that's like, okay, what is this thing that comes out of me? Whether mm-hmm. it's a drawing or a painting or a song, like it came out of me, right? It's part of me. What is that worth in monetary value? Like, how do you, and that's taken me years too, to figure out like, okay, well, what, what do I charge for certain jobs? What do I charge for commissions? What is original art worth? What is, I'm, I'm, I've been hired by corporations in the past and present to do work for a very large amounts of money. That's fantastic. But if I'm making this much, then why am I now doing something smaller and more indie and underground for barely any money? Well, that's my choice. And sure. one, th- one thing I've found in my career is the balance of, okay, I can make good money doing corporate gigs, working for video game companies, whatever. But I always want to have the time after that to do my own personal stuff or indie comics or whatever. And so that's what I do. And I've just managed my time in my life to do both types of work because it's rewarding to me. It's fun. And that's what I want to do. So um, some people, you know, once they go corporate, that's all they want to do. And they're, you know, making a really good living. And and I mean, that's fine too. That's their choice. Some people want to stay with the punk ethos and just be underground and live the kind of starving artist lifestyle. And it's like, if that's your thing, then that's fine too. It's, I mean, there's no rules. It's just, it's just like what works for you and what do you want to do? Yeah. I I mean, I've, I've been a a huge Paul Pope fan for a lot of years. Yeah. That dude is the absolute epitome of what you were just describing. I mean, he, he probably, you know, he reminds me of like the comic equivalent of Aphex Twin. He's probably got 30 years worth of work in his apartment, but he just decides whenever he wants to release shit. So I have to sit back and wait for the next Batman 100 or fucking Battle Boy to come out, you know, and it's it's his prerogative. Like, I can't get upset at the guy because he's not ready to release something, you know, and he probably works a lot. He's just not willing to kill himself to appease other people's expectations, which I think is dope. I'm like, fucking good for you, man. Me too. Your life. I'll tell you this. I was DMing with Paul just last week. On no Instagram, shit. And he sent me pencils of the new Battling Boy stuff. It's got to be so it's, it's happening. I've seen it. And it's fucking awesome, of course. Right. Because we were DMing and I, I reread Battling Boy, the first volume last yeah. week. I hadn't read it in a while. And I'm like, dude, I just reread your your first volume. It's so good. And he's like, it's so fun. Oh, uh, well, speaking of Battling Boy, and then he sends me like three pages of pencils of the new stuff and i was like okay it's happening it's going to be great but you're right it's like he's the kind of guy that he he can just do things on his schedule and yeah and i mean you know when you see the work though man you don't you don't want a rushed paul pope no you don't don't want a half-assed uh paul you know it's fuck no we'll we'll wait for the good shit exactly You don't, I mean, and the other thing too, is you don't, you know, you you don't develop, uh, you don't develop the skill set and get to a point in your life where you can dictate your own schedule to start hamming it out. You know, it's, it's like, you just, that's the whole point you want. I mean, and some people really thrive in that environment of like constant, you know, constant pressure and workflow. And that's what they need to keep driving them. But like, my feeling is, you know, if 
that 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 is the luxury they're in that you were talking about. It's like when I want to work on my underground shit, I work on my underground shit. When I think that I like a project and I want to start spending time on something that's going to be a little more mainstream and it's going to bring in, you know, uh, uh, a, a, a decent size acorn, you know, for winter, like, fuck, we'd, we'll yeah. do that. But it's like, you know, you work to a point to be able to make those decisions and no, no, no one else should have, no one else's opinion should matter. And you should, that, that should be a completely, you know, uh, unique experience to you the same way that you create the work, you should dictate how it's given to the world, you know? Right. And, you know, I've gotten real lucky cause like, uh, corporations hire me to be me, you know, they're mm-hmm. not telling me to change my style. And yeah. so I've, I've been around long enough and I've gotten smart art directors that know what I do and they hit me up and hire me because they want me to be me for, for their product or whatever they're trying to do. So I haven't had to um, compromise. It's just my same approach when I'm doing my own work. It's just, there's more, um, collaboration where okay i have to show sketches and i have to work with an art director to get approval but once i get the uh, green light to make the finished piece it feels like i'm just doing something for myself yeah you know because they're like okay now you know what to do you're off do your magic and then turn it in when it's done and and that's kind of been um something i wouldn't have predicted to happen like when i started my career i didn't know that I could craft a unique, weird style that eventually could be um, used for like other things besides underground comics. You know, it's 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 um, worked out really well in, in that regard. Yeah. So, but something I couldn't have planned, man. It sort of just started happening, and and you know, also um, being professional and developing a good reputation. Like, I think I have a good rep where I don't, I don't miss deadlines, man. Like I don't mess things up. I'm not difficult to work with. And, and art directors and editors, the world of comics, advertising, all that, these are all small worlds. So everyone talks. So if you're an asshole or you're late or you're irresponsible, yeah, word's going to spread and you're not going to get work. So you, you know, you, you need to also think about, um, how you're presenting yourself as a, as a professional that can be hired. Totally. When you're, when you're doing your craft, when you're doing your thing. Yeah. And I will, you know, you, you professionalism, I, I think is one of those, is one of those uh, morals and like traits in people that is maybe sloughed off or is, is a byproduct uh, that, that people don't focus on enough. I think in creative fields, it's almost like they're waiting for you to, to not follow through. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's some sort of built in, uh, negative expectation. But, um, when, when you are the type of person that delivers and, and consistently, you know, does that shit on time and, and, uh, and follows through, uh, I think it almost, exponentially increases your availability to do whatever you want. Right. Like you were saying, because they're, they're like, all right, this guy has been, uh, you know, he's been on time. He's come correct with all of the projects up to this point. Now he's asking for X, Y, and Z. Like, why would we not, you know, it's right. like you, you, 
you take the kind of you take the power away from them and you know that's i think that's uh one of those rewards that you're able to reap from just treating even a creative pursuit like a business which you kind of have to do if you want it to you know res- if, if you want the respect in turn that you're putting into the work out of it you you have to work like that to a certain degree you know definitely and that's especially, any field yeah and especially if you're your own just self-contained entity like i'm just doing all this myself so it's not like i'm a studio and i have other people and it's like hire my studio it's it's <laughs> no, this, is just, this is just me like i'm the guy you deal with i answer the emails i make the work i send it to you when it's done i invoice you and so all of those responsibilities are are on me and that's another thing that like if you're just a kid who likes to draw that's great but the making the living part of it i've had to uh, learn how to do all these other duties these yeah. other jobs that come along with the territory that you those things man you can't really prepare for prepare for it, mm-hmm. it's almost like you just learn on the job on the clock yeah and after 23 years of doing this kind of hustle man like i've i've learned and i'm still learning so um you have to keep your mind open to that like uh, idea of, of you're never going to have all the answers. Like this is this, you and your career are a work in progress basically forever. Yeah. So until you retire, you know, or you die or whatever. So absolutely. I, I, and I mean that, that runs deep in, I, I think in, in every facet of life, right. One of the most freeing moments you get as a young adult is realizing that your parents are not are are fallible as fuck and that <laughs> you know they're just making it up too and then you get out into the real world and you create all of these existential stresses thinking that everybody else has it figured out and then you see them in in their moments of like stress and defeat and you realize holy shit even my even my you know the, the even the people that I look up to have these moments even even the people that I've been you know, uh, idolizing for these years. It, we're all just making it up as we go along. And I think that's stressful in one way, but it's also immensely freeing in another because you're like, man, I can kind of just write this shit for myself, you know, right. and and build it. And, and it's terrifying in one degree, in, in one sense, but it's also like, it's it's very, I think it's very freeing as well. You yeah. Know? And it's great. Where Where did you... Where did you, uh, where did it, where did it all begin? <laughs> where, uh, where did you get into art, man? I know you were, uh, Kansas city. Yeah. Uh, I, I grew up in St. Louis. St. Louis. Um, okay. And, uh, when I was 15 years old, I started interning for this independent comic book company in St. Louis called Artline Studios. Okay. It was these two guys, this guy, Ed Decker, and this guy, Lorenzo Lozano, that were just self-publishing black and white comics in the early 90s. Wow. And I met them and they started teaching me the ropes of how all this works. Mm-hmm. This was pre-internet. So they're the first guys that showed me like, this is the paper you use for comics. This is the ink and the tools. And uh, I did a bunch of like, you know, grunt work for them, inking and stuff like that. And then I moved to Kansas City to go to college, uh, Kansas City Art Institute. Mm-hmm. That, that was a four-year program. 
wound up meeting some incredible artists there, including a uh, fellow classmate, Nathan Fox, and my buddy, Mike Huddleston, who was a year ahead of me. Mike and I started doing comics together. Uh, he was penciling. I was his anchor. And then in college, I started self-publishing my own comics, Girl Scouts and all that kind of stuff. And then senior year, I got my first job with Marvel doing an um, X-Men one-shot called Generation X Underground. Very strange, black and white, indie-flavored X-Men book. Yeah, yeah. Really weird. And then I graduated from college, and then I moved to Arizona, and I lived there for six years. And I became part of the music scene there with um, DJ Z Trip mm-hmm. and, and uh, the Bomb Shelter DJs. And I started painting every Thursday night at their weekly event. So not only was I doing my comics... But I was out in the nightclubs once a week and people from the music industry started coming to Z Trips events and seeing me. Mm-hmm. And that led to getting like record label work, doing album covers, doing flyers. At the same time, I got the gig doing Kevin Smith's Clerks comic. Yeah. And that book came out. That kind of blew up my name in the comics biz. And then in 2002, I moved to LA because I had a uh, cartoon deal with Disney. So I moved to LA. Z Trip had moved to LA the year before and was like, you got to come out to LA. (laughs) So I wound up getting this optioning deal, this cartoon deal with Disney. And I moved to LA to get out of Arizona, but to also start working on the cartoon. Sure. The cartoon did not happen, but I still got optioning money from Disney so Mm -hmm. I could. And then, dude, I, I mean, I lived in LA for like 16 years and that kind of really helped me make all the connections with like animation, movies, freelance. And I started getting burnt out living there. And then I just moved to Portland two years ago. So I've moved around a lot. I, I like moving. I like new cities and new groups of people and everything. Um, I can do that. I'm single. I'm a freelancer. You know, yeah. I just pick up and move if I want. Um, but man, each city I've had new experiences, new groups of friends, new art, talented people to hang out with and learn from and new sources of uh, inspiration that have all added to the, the catalog of like what I'm doing and who sure. I am as a person, but also what art I'm making. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's, it's been cool, man. But yeah, I've, I've like bounced around a lot. Um, I think That's... I have one, I think I have one more move in me, you know, and, and, uh, I've always had fantasies of like living on the East coast at some point. Like I love New York. I just, I just don't know when and where that will happen, but sure. I go to New York a couple of times a year and I always go to, um, New York comic-con in October. And there's something about, like East Coast people, they they seem to understand and get my artwork more than anyone else. Yeah. Um, I'd say give it a minute before you come out here, though. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, I, just give, I, it, give it like, you know, give it a hot second. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not talking like next year. I'm just, I just mean if I have another move in me in like three or four years, yeah, the, the East Coast would be something that I would be thinking of, you know. I, I can tell you as somebody who uh, lived on the West Coast for a long time, I grew up in Oakland uh, and I moved to Phoenix as well uh, and, and lived there for for a while. And moving out 
to the East Coast here, I can tell you um, one of the best decisions I ever made, hands down. And I've had moments for sure, most of them always in the winter, uh, where I'm like, oh man, I should just I should just check back in with California for a few years. And then summer hits and I'm like, nah, I'm good. Right. I stay put. I love it. Um, and and I I highly recommend it. Not only because it'd be dope to have you in town, but you know, it's just it's it's a great fucking place to to call home for any amount of time. Yeah. Um, the energy there, man, is like I mean, I, I make work that has this sort of kinetic energy in it, this yeah, this this scratchiness and and like the line work. And when people see that in New York, like at the Comic Con, they respond to it. And a lot of people think that I live there. They're like, you, you live here, right? You're in New York. I'm like, no, man. I'm when I was in LA, I'd be, I was like, I live in LA. And every New Yorker would be like, oh, because <laughs> of the New York disdain for LA. And now that I live in Portland, they're like, oh, okay, well, that's cool too. But they're like, you, you should come out here, man. This weird, like graffiti, scratchy shit you're doing. It's more of like a East Coast vibe than anything yeah. else. And to me, I see it as more of a, it's just a total fusion of, like everywhere I've lived and all the influences I'm looking at, including like European art, Japanese anime, manga, 1960s psychedelic artwork. So to me, it's, it's everything, but I, uh, I do appreciate that New Yorkers kind of see the, um, the East coast, like flavoring in it, you know? Well, I think, you know, your, your background in, in the the hip hop and punk scene and painting with Z Trip, who is I, I don't know if you could get a better a better mood a better mood stabilizer for that for that sort of style because he seemingly blends like almost every genre of music together in yeah. the most unreal ways, dude. I, I mean, I, watching that guy play is utterly humbling, and uh, the fact that you know, that was part of the formative process. It, it makes perfect sense. You know what I mean? And nothing, nothing happens for, you know, everything kind of happens for a reason, right? Like you, you, you were in Phoenix, you ended up hooking up with those guys. And then, you know, all these different transitions have all led you. It's, it's all parts of the process. Oh yeah. When you, when you were in Arizona, were you there during that, that Z trip era? Like when, when were you there? Uh, I was, so I moved to Phoenix in 2000, uh, 2006, I think. Mm -hmm. And I was there until 2010. Okay. So you, you were there when Dumper was still doing Blanc Club. That was a weekly event. Yeah. 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 Uh, who else was around? You know, I, like I said, I left in 2002. So this whole other crew of kids that were kids when me and Z trip were doing our weekly show, sure. they came in and, and took over the scene. And I had known Dumper since like 98, the Z trip era. And then he, him and like a uh, pigster sort of came in and, and took over as like the grandmaster coordinator, promoter guys of that, uh, wonderful underground, like hip hop funk scene. You know? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I was obviously, it was a bit of a culture shock being in, in Phoenix from Oakland, 
And I found Blunt Club through a friend of mine who was like, yo, I think you'd really be into this. And, you know, I grew up going to hip hop shows. Uh, I, you know, I, I saw Merce play at Amoeba when I cut class my sophomore year, you know, like I, I, that was just part of my kind of heritage and upbringing. And, um, it was, I had good choices too. You know what I mean? Like I grew up in an area where that shit was completely, it was fruitful on every level. Um, not like, not like it is now we still had to drive into Berkeley or drive here, drive there to get good magazines or CDs or whatever, but it was, it was more prominent. Um, so when I went to Phoenix and, and I heard about Blunt Club, I legit went there the first night and, and Dumper was painting on stage and I waited for him to get off. And I was like, man, uh, I, I remember specifically leaving the conversation thinking, fuck, he's never going to hit me up. But I was like, I would love to just hang out and paint sometime if you'll have me. Sure enough, the dude texted me that night and we, we, you know, we kind of, got that whole thing going and we've been friends ever since. But, um, yeah, it was, I remember seeing, uh, I, I just pulled up a picture the other night of Diplo playing it at one of the Blunt Club parties. Uh-huh. Wu-Tang Clan was there. Public Enemy was there. I mean, those guys brought in some unbelievable acts and, you know, uh, just recently talking to him, I, I thought it was hilarious. Cause I was like, how the fuck did they book Public Enemy? And I found out that they just, bootleg there that from like a cd uh, uh signing that they were doing at a tower records him and uh his other promoter friend adam and his other promoter friend just went over and basically bootleg signed him for the night and got him to play plug club yeah. and sold the place out on myspace and in, in the same night it was it, and stories like that just you know they fill your heart because it's like man the real guys that do it for the hip-hop scene and and for the cause like they don't give a fuck where they're playing. If there's a crowd and an audience and people are about it, like they'll, they'll get it going. And those guys have played sold out arenas all over the world. That That's a 150 person venue in the middle of Phoenix. <laughs> Nuts. I'm so sad that I missed that show. I, I was there years ago when, uh, flying Lotus did like his uh, first Arizona show ever. And it was at one club. And most of the people there did not know who he was. He yep. crushed it, but everyone was like, who's this guy? He's new, you know, whatever. And I was on stage painting when he was spinning Dumper was as well. And you're like, Oh shit, flying Lotus. Like this guy's going to uh, go on to do some big things uh, yeah. based on what we're hearing. And you know, he's to me, he's a legend. I love his stuff. Of course. Uh, Dumper actually, I'm sure you know this, but he lives out here in Portland. Yeah. 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 So it's like, we have, it's cool to be reunited in, in that way with some of the old, like, Arizona crew that's out here as well. Of course. So, and you guys, you guys are doing uh, uh, a bunch of, uh, well, you, yeah, I would call it a Corona apocalypse content, but you guys are doing uh, a bunch of um, stream content now, like uh, Pacdemic and, and a couple other shows. What do you guys have going on? Yeah, I did the Pacdemic um, last weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was awesome. Um, I'm also doing a thing. If people go to YouTube, uh, it's called Ink Pulp Podcast. And that's with some of the best comic book artists around. And we just hang out and draw together. And then we uh, auction those drawings off online. And 100% of the money goes to a medical organization in New Jersey that feeds doctors and nurses and medical workers. 
Oh, that's awesome. That's my buddy Jason in Jersey coordinates. But so, man, we're trying to do, I, I do at least like once a week, get on Zoom and, and do, whether it's Pandemic or Ink Pulp, I try and do something where we're drawing, people can watch us draw. It's fun. It's like lighthearted. And then we just sell the shit and it goes to hopefully help people. Yeah. I'll link to that in the show notes and, yeah. uh, and and anything else you guys are doing so that, so that people can find it really easily, man. Yeah. Um, it's been kind of cool, man, to see how people have adapted to making content just out of their home. Yeah. That's creatively inspiring, whether it's just drawing videos or zoom, whatever, or a full blown thing like William did with Pandemic, where it's like people all over the world are pro- performing and there's like a dozen screens showing different people doing art and then someone will come on and dj for like a half hour or whatever but it's just crazy that uh we've had the we have the technology now to like humans are pretty resourceful man and resilient and i know that we're gonna like get out of this thing and and it's just interesting to see everyone's approach to um being resilient and and like getting over the hump of just the weirdness uh, of things, you know? I mean, I, I think in, in terms of the way that uh, Dumps described it, the way that you just described it, it, it would just be, it would be dope even after this is over and everything gets back open to have people, like you get live artists on the stage with the DJs, but have people like flipped up on the, the backdrop on the screen behind, like from fucking all across the world doing doing art in their house or in their studio or whatever it's just a great idea and i mean you know i agree with you i think i think that times like this force creative people to find new ways of of reaching folks and developing new ideas you know it's uh it's hunter s thompson said when the when the going gets weird the weird go pro man that's Exactly. That's a, that's the fucking one. And, and, uh, I think it's true, man. Like, you know, if you're, if you're bored, you're boring. You, you can find a way to enhance any situation with a little creativity and a little drive. And, you know, it gets you out of that slump and funk of like, fuck, I'm caught in my apartment. But it's like, you know, I mean, for artists, I would assume that it, this isn't as maybe that's a little callous to say. This is definitely affecting you guys, but you're used to being in the studio for long hours. You're used to, you know, the the kind of habitual, you know, indoor time. Yeah. Um, but it's still psychologically a complete mind fuck. And yeah. and you know, the fact that you guys are donating your time to these different things and and coming coming together, creating these collectives is just amazing, man. It's dope. Yeah. It, it's. Uh... I'm I'm thankful that I'm even like working like I have projects going on right now and so I'm just, I'm not trying to take anything for granted where it's like okay I I'm still working so even if I can't go out and have a drink with friends at night or go to a restaurant for lunch or whatever it's like there's people out there that are in big trouble right now that are hurting that yeah. aren't working at all and so that's where things start to it's strange, man. And it's, it's like, I don't know, at least I have this outlet of, uh, I can wake up and come into my studio room here and just sit and draw. And that's my solution to the, to the problem. 
Yeah. I want to make sure I walk back what I said because, you know. No, you're creative, fine. You, you didn't. Creatives and, and everyone in general, like I, everybody needs those outlets and everybody needs space outside of their studio. You know, that's, that's where you work. It's the same thing as somebody going into an office, um, needing, you know, needing that, needing those outlets of, of, you know, socializing and interpersonal connection. I mean, that's, it's imperative. It's, I think that's, what's really breaking people at, at, at this point in the process. But, um, and I wasn't trying to diminish that for creatives at all, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. but, um, you know, it's, and not to mention the fact that you guys, for the most part spend, I mean, and you could speak to this, but how many months of the year do you spend traveling around and making a significant amount of your income from doing shows and festivals? Like that's, that's all cut off. I mean, yeah, that's been the major blow for like me and my my close buddies that do the comic cons, like sure. I mean, in, in March alone, man, we missed like two of the big conventions, one in Seattle and one in uh, Kentucky are both canceled. So mm-hmm. I think of the dollar amount I lost just in March by not doing the, those shows. And so, I mean, that sucks. We're, we're trying to, we're doing it. We're all doing like commissions through the mail now for yeah. comic book fans. Like if they wanted a piece or whatever, but, um, it's just something that like, I'm just sort of having to accept the fact that, okay, this year it might just be a conventionless year and, 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 you know, hopefully shit picks back up next year. And, but I mean, right now the idea of like 80,000 strangers being together in a building, I don't see that happening for a while. Yeah. yeah. So people were even trying to figure out like, is New York going to happen in October at the Javits Center? And I mean, man, at this point, I don't really see any conventions happening this year. But maybe if I'm you, wrong. I don't. I don't know. I don't if know. you consider the amount of of restrictions that they placed on most things, even at this point, it's going to take a lot for sure. Because anybody that's been to, especially the New York Comic Con, it, it's absolute shoulder to shoulder interaction anytime after really early in the morning. Oh yeah. And and there's also also that that kind of like eerie factor of the the fact that it was just kind of a hospital for a while and a morgue. Yes. Yes. Part of the Javits Center was a morgue. Yeah. But the the <laughs> the resonance and the resolve of of comic book fans I think would overcome that pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I just think I uh, I I just think I I don't know that that amount of people that I agree with you. I mean, I really hope that it does end up happening. You know, it's an unbelievable show. I, I try and go every year. It's just so much fun, but you know, it's, we'll, we'll see what happens. There's, there's sold out, there's sold out shows, sporting events, everything across New York. And who knows? It's, yeah. it's anyone's best guess at this point, man. Yeah. I just kind of had to accept that that might not be part of my career this year yeah and and stay busy move on to other things and i mean the cool thing is this year i was sort of planning on this being a really intense stay at home and work year anyway because i'm trying to finish a new comic book series that i'm doing that will come out next year and next year i was planning on traveling and touring it promoting it a lot so i actually am getting a big chunk of this project done 
while all this is happening because there's nothing else to do. So it's like, you got to make, got to make lemonade. Take, take those lemons, man. Make lemonade. Kind make of that lemonade. Yeah. Yeah. Make that shit gold. Yeah. Um, make that shit gold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in your, in the early days of the stuff you're working on, do you remember a specific piece that you were trying to copy over and over and over again? Or it, was there ever that moment for you where you saw something and you were like, that shit, I want to do that shit. Was it a heavy metal magazine? Was it a specific comic? Like what, what was the impetus of like the, 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 the kickstart to what you wanted to do? Yeah. I, I started collecting comics when I was a little kid and I became obsessed with like Spider-Man and, and the idea that there's a job where you draw comics. And mm-hmm. then in the mid eighties, man, when the Ninja Turtles original black and white underground self-published comic came out from Kevin and Eastman and Peter Laird before the cartoon and, and the mainstream. Mm-hmm. When I saw that black and white original comic that blew my mind as yeah. like a, 12 13 year old and i was like that's the kind of shit that i want to do like weird obscure violent sort of silly like very strange you know and i had this similar thing in college when i discovered the uh tank girl comic books from uh england um very punk rock sensibility middle finger in the air to like authority and yeah man the status quo and that also was another lightning bolt moment of like, Oh shit, man, this is like exactly what I want to do basically. Yeah. So, and you know, there's been moments through my career where I'll discover new artists or new comics or uh, that reinvigorate that passion, Mm -hmm. you know, but, uh, the Ninja Turtles and and like tank girl are two pretty standout moments at at different times in my life that, that influenced me in in different ways. Sure. Um, and then was, moving, to, moving to Arizona, man, and seeing like the music scene with Z Trip and those guys. I mean, those guys, I'm not a musician, but those guys, I was like, this is, this is like the punk rock version of, of, uh, turntablism. Like yeah. the these guys are doing is so different and so innovative. And it was pre Serato. It was like three DJs, six turntables on a stage, crates of records everywhere. We're like tripping over the records as I'm painting and stuff. And it was like what they were doing every Thursday night was just uh, extraordinary. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, man. I remember, uh, and I still, I'll, I'll get chills talking about it right now, but um, I, especially being a Bay area kid and knowing about the scratch pickles when, uh, when Doug Prey put out Scratch and I watched yeah. when I watched Mixmaster Mike do Robert Johnson Delta Blues over yeah. Dead Prez, yeah. that shit lit me up like a fucking Christmas tree. And yeah. I, I'll never forget that. And I'm not I'm not a musician either, but that shit is undeniable. It, yeah. It's like and that's what was going on. I mean, Z Trip was doing all that same shit. DJ Shadow, um, you know, Cut Chemist. Mm-hmm. But, Bomb, I mean, Bombada way before that, but I mean, you know, you're talking about the, the executioners, like, yeah. oh man, there's so many things that you can pull and, and just go, fuck, that was just such an elemental time for this weird new offset idea of what music was. And 
being able to be on the front line of that and paint to it must have just been an absolute fucking gift on yeah. every level. Very, very cool, man. And everyone was just doing their own thing. And it was like, let's have a party. Can you make a flyer? Cause it was, <laughs> you know, you know, it was, it was just all like, we yeah. don't, we don't have to wait for anybody's approval. Like that was one of the spirits of the nineties and as a whole doing underground comics. And when I was in art school and self-published stuff, it's like, the mentality at that time was like, you don't have to wait for corporations or people to give you permission. You just make your thing and put it out. And whatever audience you reach is the audience you reach, you know? And it was sort of a even playing ground of like, if you've got the determination and the, and the resources to make a little zine or a underground comic, you can make your vision and put it out in the world and have something tangible to hand to people. Yeah. And if you're a DJ, you can make your own little demo, uh, cassette tape or CD that you hand to people. And I mean, when I met Z trip, I mean, he still had those like B boy break cassettes that he was. Yeah. <laughs> there was like, there was like the blue one and the red one. And it yeah. was like the shit's on tape cassette, man. And that was like one of the first things he handed me when he met me. And when they, those guys saw what I was doing really without knowing me very well, they were like, you should come down to our night and like, and get on stage with us. And Fuck yeah. And for me, I was like, oh, you guys barely even know me, but I guess you're digging what I'm doing to, to have that level of uh, sure trust or whatever. And, and it just so happened that it all gelled together really well. And, um, you know, we we're, we we're also younger and, and, you know, partying and having a, a great time. So that, that, that was all part of it too, you know? Yeah, man. So, I mean, in, speaking to that specifically and like the the even the freedom back then in the 90s i i'm i'm curious what your kind of what your perspective is on this because i know there's a pretty heavy divide in in, in you know in in the art community uh so you 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 went to art school you went to the the art institute in Kansas City yeah. um and that was in 97 this is like pre-social media and you know youtube and all this stuff now that this is such uh an open source forum and available to people would you recommend to your you know 97 self to go to art school is that something that you would say and and i mean are there there are obviously going to be caveats to that right like you know certain people are going to have different needs but the, the privatization of these schools and the amount of money that it costs people and with social media nowadays, I mean, do you think the juice is worth the squeeze on that? Like what is the, uh, you know, I, I don't recommend art school in this modern era to aspiring artists. And what I tell those kids is like, you have all these free tutorials online on YouTube on specific technique. But my advice also is having that, personal uh contact with someone in real life uh to exchange ideas and learn from try and meet the best artist in your city and like latch on to that person and do an internship with them or an apprenticeship and if you want to do comics and and stuff that's like um figurative based take live figure drawing classes at a community college in your city they're cheap um, so there's all these different ways of getting around the idea of being 
$200,000 in debt after like yes. four years of art school. So, um, I got lucky, man. Cause like I got a partial scholarship to art school and then going there and meeting like my buddies, Mike and Nathan, that was more important to me than the actual school. So I am glad that I did go. And the best thing I did get out of the school was those really intense, rigorous live figure drawing classes, because doing that like five hours a day, every day of the week, man, it, it just really made me understand the, the figure and how mm-hmm. everything works. And that's the basis of all my artwork is the human figure, whether it's comics, album covers, whatever I'm doing. I'm not a guy who does landscapes or animal portraits or um, architecture. And thank God for that. Right. I'm a guy that draws characters. And so what, if you want to do sort of what I'm doing in the, this realm, you need to learn how to draw the figure. Yeah. So there's ways of doing that without going to like a, a $30,000 a year art school or whatever, how much art school costs now. I don't even know, but um, I'm, I meet kids at comic cons every year, man, who ask me that same question. And I'm always like, I don't think you need to go to art school. I think that it's 2020 and there's so many other options now. I was a freshman in 1993, man, when this information was just not, available. And yep. when I was when I was getting out of school in 97, that's when they were starting to introduce Photoshop and computer classes as part of the illustration program. Mm-hmm. But I didn't even really have any of that required when I was in school. It was people were starting to independently learn Photoshop. Um, so I had to learn all that stuff on my own anyway after school. So I mean I basically went to school to meet my buddies start making my own comics and do figure drawing classes is how I view it. And I got out of it debt free because I was, I I had a partial scholarship and basically my, I got lucky and my grandma uh, gave me the money to go to college. Like she was about to pass away and, and her husband had stashed away all this money and she gave all of her grandchildren money to go to college. And so that's what I used the money for. Good on Gam Gam. Love her. Thank you. Grandma, wherever you are now. <laughs> Bro, that's that's the dream though, right? Like yeah, so yeah. Th- th- those guys didn't really have the choices. And they they didn't save that money for any other purpose, man. You know, it's it's and that's a beautiful thing. It's fucking epic. That's that there I don't think there is a cause for that money that could have been greater. Mm-hmm. is to give someone uh well you specifically the opportunity to do what you wanted to do as opposed to do what you had to do you know right. and and that's that's just a generational gap and a lot of people won't uh, a lot of younger people nowadays won't ever understand that unfortunately but that's definitely something that I, I was fortunate enough to be a party to as well man um yeah. but yeah i agree it's it's so you know in terms of the the amount of resources available, you know, Photoshop comes with a tutorial now and it's pretty in-depth. And most artists that you would want to emulate have Patreon pages where you can go and watch them do tutorials for you. <laughs> so it's like you wonder, it's you know, you 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 don't want to you don't ever want to shit on furthering someone's education, but you also just want to arm people with the right information, you know, so yeah. they don't wind up in $200,000 worth of debt with an oil painting degree. And it's like, 
dude, a lot of people that paint in oil don't end up being famous until they're dead. Right. So, and you know, I've never been asked. (laughs) Yeah. It's a good point. And I mean, I've never been asked at any point in my career by an art director and an editor if I had a college degree. No, the work speaks for itself. Yeah. Yeah. All I care about is is your work appropriate for this job? And can you make the deadline? That's all they care about. So in a way, freelance illustration, comics, whatever, the thing I love about it is it's not really about me. Like they don't care like what race I am or what my beliefs are or any of that bullshit. It's, does your work match this job? And can you make the deadline? That's all we care about. And I don't really ever meet most of these people face to face, it's just a person I'm usually emailing with. Yeah. You know, so they're in New York or somewhere else, or maybe in another part of the world, and we're digitally transferring files, and then they digitally put the money in my bank account. And so it's a different era, man, where it's like there's not even any physical things being um we don't even ever need to shake hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, you know, it, it's funny when I started comics because you actually would FedEx the original art in to the publisher. So terrifying. How scary was that for you? It's weird. You know, I only had one major incident of a a truck running over the package and we had to redraw, had to redraw some pages. But um, it's just funny that there was a, there was a physical thing that had to happen. Yeah. And now, yeah, as you know, it's just like, no, you just make the work and then you hit the send button and it's Dropbox. Yeah. Dropbox and Venmo. Yeah. Um, so what I'm, I'm curious because when we were talking before, you said, you know, this is, this has been, this whole process in general has been nice in terms of structuring the day to day and forcing yourself to kind of commit to a process of like getting up and jogging and then running into the studio and, you know, maybe coffee, whatever. You don't have to get super detailed, but like, what is what is your process? Because I know, I know the diminishing return for somebody on a daily basis is is their ability to procrastinate, and it it obviously happens regardless. But like, how do you combat that? Like, what what do you do to just jump in on a daily and get shit done? Yeah, I mean, I um, I like to get up, make a small breakfast, and then I like to do either a walk or a jog to get like the actual blood pumping in my body, get the mm-hmm. neurons and everything uh, firing. And then I come inside and I do a drawing session for a couple hours and then I'll do a lunch break. And then I'll do like, if I have to do phone call, email or zoom with people that I'm working with, um, I'm working on an animated thing right now. And it requires me to talk to my team every day. I'll do that basically at the same time every day in the afternoon that conversation gets me hyped up and pumped up to go back in the studio and make sure. more work. And then, you know, I'll uh, treat myself to, you know, having my favorite of movie playing while I'm working, while I'm winding things down or a podcast or whatever. And then it's usually like dinner time, a little bit more work. And then I always end the day on a mellow note by, um, reading a book uh, or comic or watching a movie and kind of getting away from the table, getting away from the work and not looking at it like the last two or three hours that I'm awake at night. 
Mm-hmm. And then that lets it kind of um, go. It lets it, it lets it leave. Yeah. This. And then, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then, yeah, and then yeah, yeah. one of the things I figured out, man, that works out great for me is like, I love waking up in the morning and going into the studio and looking what I've done the day before with fresh eyes because nine times out of 10, I can, if there's a problem, there's a mistake, I can usually see it in the first second of looking at it with fresh eyes. And I'll say, Oh, I need to change that. Okay. I'm glad I didn't mess with it last night and and screw something up while I was getting tired or, or whatever. So I think it's important to know when to walk away from things. Mm-hmm. And and look at it after a night's sleep or with fresh eyes what, after you've had a chance to like reset. Yeah. So um, that's again that my my thing about not doing uh, all nighters and stuff is is you sort of need to have those breaks. Yeah. In between yeah, yeah. to uh, assess what you've got going on and what is what your next um, decision making element is because i mean making art making any kind of thing it's really all boils down to decision making yeah do you have is there when you when you sit down is there uh is there like a a side sketchbook or something that you do a warm-up on before you jump into work that you're actually kind of you know when you're inking specifically and that shit doesn't come off do you, I mean, or just to get the juices flowing, do you sit down and do a warm up before you'll jump right onto panels or? Yeah. Yeah. I usually, I usually doodle a bit in the morning before I, like if I'm eating breakfast or uh, whatever, like I like to just start to get like my hand and wrist warmed up and stuff. Yeah. Um, I think that's important. It doesn't need to be anything elaborate or whatever, but it's just kind of uh, reminding your <laughs> muscle memory of, what you're doing. Yeah. The, the good thing about, um, I'm drawing like comics right now every day. And, and the good thing about doing it every day is you really do pick up on the muscle memory of, of like, this is how you compose a page and this is how you approach panels and storytelling. And so the more you stay in that, uh, vibe, that routine, the easier it is each consecutive day to wake up and do it. Yeah. So um, you don't have to, I don't think you have to kill yourself every day working intensely, maybe take breaks here and there or take an entire day off to do other business or other stuff. But um, staying in the groove too is, is kind of important and it feels good. Like when you're working and there's less and less mistakes happening each day, it just feels good. It feels like you actually know, what you're doing. And then that builds confidence. I was going to ask, I mean, and just specifically because you kind of alluded to it. uh, Do you, are you a believer in flow states and like just kind of when you, you get to a certain point on something, you just kind of time stops and then you pop back out of the hole six hours later and you're like, Holy shit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that is big for me because I work, pretty loosely and, and, uh, instinctually. Mm -hmm. So even if I have something mapped out or penciled out, a lot of my drawing and decision-making is coming in the ink stage Mm -hmm. and ink is permanent. So if you mess something up, it's like, do you stop? And, and, and it's like, for me, I just sort of have learned how to, um, 
almost incorporate the mistakes into my drawing style. Sure. Have it loose. If I have to paint over it with whiteout and let it dry, that's fine. But I'm not one of these precious artists that's like, if I make one mistake, I have to start over. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I've learned like just incorporate the mistakes into the style. And it sounds like a, it sounds like a, a lazy excuse, but it's no, it's, no, no, no. But what it is, is it's actually learning to be not so precious with things that it like ruins your momentum. Yeah. It's punk rock, man. Yeah. Thank, thank you. <laughs> no, it's, but you, I mean, honestly, well, yeah, yeah. it's, so you look at a guy like Jeremy Fish or like Mike Giant and they're doing stuff that's like so, so heavily that the foundational property of the line and the symmetry and everything else is so independent, it's so dependent on them not fucking up. Yes. And you imagine that that's why they smoke so much weed is because they just have to calm the fucking nerves down so that their hand moves freely. I'm not going to speak for them, but I, I can, I mean, you're right. You're right. I have to imagine because it's got to be so stressful. You get, you know, 16 hours into a panel or a wall and you're finishing like, you know, God forbid the last few segments and fuck you, you get a twitch in your hand or something slips or whatever. And, and, ah, uh, it's just got to be heartbreaking because they're also so such perfectionists that you know that they're going to do the whole panel over again, or they're, yeah. they're, they're going to, it's going to ruin their whole fucking day. And that would give me so much anxiety. Anxiety, I have, right? I have a friend in Colorado who's worked on projects with Mike Giant and I've met Mike. I've been to his spot in Colorado. He's awesome. He's a but, sweet guy. But my buddy was saying, yeah, like Mike won't use whiteout. So mm-hmm. if he makes a mistake in the inking phase, like he just has to redo it or, and to me, like that's crazy like that, but everyone has their own approach. Everyone has their own style, but that would be way too much like pressure and anxiety for me. And even though I work loose, uh, I love guys like that, that are super tight. Like I have a shitload of respect for that, but sure. I just know my personality and attention span in the studio. Like I, I couldn't work that way. Well, and it doesn't, I mean, it, it, it's completely counterintuitive to the style that you've created. Yeah. And, and that, I mean, that it's not to say that anything is less or more, it's different and unique on the, the similar level. And what you're doing is equally, if not more difficult being, you know, extremely chaotic and wild uh, to, to find that, you know, to find that place where there is, there is the right, you know, balance and symmetry and the, you know, the, the line work and everything is, 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 uh, where you want it to be, but maintaining that structure, you know, that initial structure that you were after. I mean, that's, they're, they're equally difficult in their own, in their own ways, right. In their own universes. Um, but yeah, I, I just, for on both ends, man, I, I just, uh, it's a, it's gotta be, and it, 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 it's an anxiety filled ride for both parties. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I always tell younger artists like they're 
that asked me like, how do you develop a style or, you know, and to me, it's like, well, that's the one thing you can't teach. I mean, you're this, the style is actually really your personality in a way. It's all the things that you're into, all the things that have influenced you in particular and how you decide to manifest that into a physical thing, whether it's a song or a drawing or a painting. So that's kind of like on you, but the tip to getting there quicker is, is obviously doing this every day. I mean, if you're talking about drawing styles, it's like, you got to work in your sketchbook every day, man. You got to, mm-hmm. you got to hammer out those drawings and get the mistakes out of your system and discover the things you want to use to, for your style. Take those, apply them. And then all the garbage stuff you drew, throw that in a closet and don't post that or don't let anybody see that. That's yeah. fine. It, it does, it's not for everybody. I, I've got sketchbooks, man, <laughs> in a closet that I was working developing my style in college. And when I moved to Arizona, that stuff that it's like, no one ever needs to see it. Cause it's just, uh, it's just learning. I mean, it's just mistakes and that's like, that's okay. It's the 10,000 hours. Yes. Yeah. That's, and that's uh, every single one of those hours leads you to a specific destination. And, you know, you can, take every one of those stop signs and go to the next place where it's like, all right, we know that that's not correct. We know that this is what we like. Like, and then, and then you form this kind of like maelstrom of, uh, um, you know, this construct that you work kind of with and inside of. And that I think ultimately ends up being whatever, whatever, that style is and yeah. it's different for everybody man which is why art is so fucking interesting yes you know um it's, it's fucking awesome because you're you're not only looking at so you're looking at a finished piece of artwork right but you're also looking at like years and years and years of someone's life and experiences that it took to get to the point to that piece and then you kind of also have to think where the fuck is this going to be in 10 20 30 years like, where's it going to twist and turn? Like, what's going to come up next? Maybe some crazy shit happens in their life and they put out their opus, you know? It's like, but man. That's exciting yeah. to me, though. Like, I like that idea of not knowing where it's going to be in five or 10 or 20 years. Like, that's the thing that keeps me wanting to make stuff. A great unknown. My style has changed since I started. and 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 that's... The not knowing is something that I like. Like I enjoy that. And I've tried to set things up for myself where I can still be surprised and still have like um, happy accidents happen on a piece where it's like, well, I wasn't planning on that happening, but I kind of liked how that looks. So fuck it. Let's just keep it in there. And maybe that becomes part of my um, arsenal of tools that I have now. So you never, you never know unless you try. And I mean, that's another thing I always tell the younger artist kids. I'm like, trying is like the most important part. It's like, you don't want to be like an old guy and and regret not trying. Even if you try and you fail, you fuck up. It's like when you're older, you can be like, at least I tried. Like I, 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 I made the effort. This particular thing didn't work out for me, but I didn't, uh, give it a shot. Yeah. So, do you remember? Do you remember that movie, A Bronx Tale? 
Yes. Yeah. Or he says the worst thing in life is wasted talent. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's just such, I mean, I've probably only seen that movie a couple times in my life. My dad loved it, but I remember hearing that and really fucking hearing it and being like, man, it's so true because you think about how many talented people out there to your point of like the, the nineties and, and all of those zines in the record shops, in the cafes. And I mean, you're talking about tens of thousands, if not millions of artists that spent the hours to put those books together. Yeah. And then something happened. There was a paradigm shift in their life, whatever the case may be. And it just never, yeah. And a lot of times it did, right? A lot of times it did, but uh, there, there's an equal, if not larger amount of times that it didn't. And you, you think, man, it's just, we're fortunate enough to have this sphere now of art that exists in mass and very talented people that, you know, we're available to, but there's a lot of people that just don't follow through with it, man. And yeah. it's, you know, it's just, is what it is. There's only, there's only enough room for the ones that are willing to fucking suffer and grind it out. Right. And, and put the hours in and like sacrifice everything. Cause I know, I mean, I, I imagine that's what you had to do a lot of time, a lot of the time before you got to the point where you are now and even before that. Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, uh, Pat Oswalt has a funny like uh, skit about that, a funny joke about that where it's like, you have to have those obsession years, man. Mm-hmm. Like when you're, you're single, you're not getting laid, you're, you're poor, you're starving, but all you're doing is concentrating on that thing that you want to do. The obsession years, like you, you have to have it, you know? And that, that yeah. was, me and my roommates in college, man. I mean, we were the epitome of starving artists, but we had each other and we had each other as a support group, but also to learn from. And we were all li- literally living in the same house too, which helped. So there was just almost like through osmosis, just being breathing in the same air as these guys. It was like, I was just getting better every week, every month and learning very quickly. And, yeah. and applying all this stuff. And, you know, when you're 18, 19 too, I think your, your, your brain is still growing and you're just feeding it with all this stuff. And, and if you handle it in the right way, it, it, it turns you into the thing that you ultimately want to become. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I knew kids in art school that were incredibly talented, but they didn't have the uh, drive and discipline part down they were just like yeah i can draw I, I dig it i'm into it i guess but i don't know and to me it's like well you're you're a hobbyist yes you're, you're, you draw are you paint and you're you're good enough at it and it's it's like an old lady playing a piano at home it, she's not going to um perform concerts but it's just like her hobby she does yeah so so to me like man i was determined like I, i'm not a hobbyist I, i'm in this for life like mm-hmm. i want to do this every day and make a living off of it. How do I go about doing that? You know, do you, do you remember the, the day that you were able to feed yourself purely from art and what that felt like? Yeah. I was, the day day was I, my, it was the day I got my first check from Marvel. I was, uh, I got the generation X underground gig senior year of college, second semester before, right before I was about to graduate, the whole mm-hmm. class was in a panic about going out in the real world. Uh, 
And dude, on the book, I was getting a writing, penciling, inking, and lettering rate. Four wow. different pay rates per page for Marvel. So at the time, being 21, pretty good money. And, and uh, I was my day job, I was working at a um, needlepoint kit factory a factory <laughs> and i was like hauling boxes in this warehouse and the day i got a first check marble it was for a big batch of pages it was like 800 bucks biggest check i'd ever received in my life to that point i thought i was rich i was yeah. like fuck 800 bucks and so i called my boss at the needlepoint factory and i was like I'm turning my two weeks, dude. I'm I'm done. I'm like, I'm working for Marvel. And I think I'm going to go ahead and assume this is the beginning of my comics career, even though I don't have anything lined up after this book. Sure. I'm young and dumb enough to think that this is the beginning. So I got to bounce and I'm going to, I'm doing my art. And he was like, I get it. Okay. That's cool. But um, I got so lucky, man, because it turned out that that, I never worked a day job after that. That was the beginning of my actual art career. So um, I'll never forget. I'll never forget that though, man. Cause it was like, uh, you get the, uh, the envelope from Marvel comics. It says, I was, I was like, on the check. Yeah. 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 yeah man. Was, <laughs> this is nuts. You know, yeah, man. called my parents back in St. Louis and, uh, you were like, I told you, I fucking told you. Yeah. <laughs> they, they were excited. They were supportive. They just didn't know. They were always supportive of me doing art as a career, but they were, they were, uh, they always said, we don't know how to help you. Like we, we encourage you to pursue this. Like if you want to go to art school, but we ourselves do not know any connections or know anyone that can help you. So we don't know how you go about this thing that you're trying to do. Sure. Breaking into comic books. We good luck. I don't yeah. know what you know. And again, man, this was the era where you had to build a portfolio, make photocopies, and then just go to Comic Cons and wait in line to show your stuff to an editor in person. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's basically what me and all my buddies were doing, and went through a bunch of years of rejection doing that, talking to like disgruntled and bored editors at comic cons. And then I eventually was at the right convention at the right time and, and got this Marvel thing. And then that snowballed into all the other stuff happening. So it's kind of fuel though, right? Like you have to have those conversations, even though they're gutting, right? You have to walk up to those people and they have to tell you that you're not good enough yet. And yeah, oh, for sure. sometimes, sometimes you are, and it, it's just not the right moment. But for the majority of those conversations, it's, I think, and you could speak to this more than I could, but in, in any walk of life creatively, there, there are those moments where people tell you that you're not there yet, and then you go and work harder, and you yeah. turn out some shit that's undeniable. And that was, you know, that was a Steve Martin quote, you know, to be so fucking good, they cannot look away. Right. Right. And, and you just like, you, you have to have that persistence and then you get that confidence where it's like, even if they say no to you, you're like, no, fuck you. I'll be back. And when I come back, you're going to wish that you fucking bought that drawing or you're going to wish that you fucking signed me. You don't get those moments without those failures and you have to have those, you know, it's part of the, it's part of the whole process, man. Yeah. 
it helps you develop the thick skin that you're going to need for this kind of career anyway. Yes. You know, I mean, that was one good thing about art school is the critiques we would have in art school at the time when people were like less sensitive than they are now were fucking brutal. And it was never a personal attack on you as a person. It was just about your work. Yeah. But we, we had brutally honest critiques of each other's work that were just like, if you're a sensitive person, that's, this is not for you. Like you're going to get destroyed. But for me, I always took it as these people are all trying to help me in their Mm -hmm. own way or, or, or another. So, um, I'll take it and I'm going to prove them wrong on the next assignment we turn in, you know, yeah. kind of like what you said. It's, it's like, you can either, depending on your personality type, you could, that could either destroy you or that could just make you, um, intensify your passion and your work effort to become something better. Yeah. I remember specifically walking through the New York comic con for the first time. And I've, I've been a pseudo contributor and an appreciator of art in a lot of different facets for many, many years. But I walked through that show through the, uh, the, the, the artist gallery where everybody's sitting with their work and sketching and everything. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you've, if you have, a, if you've ever had a similar feeling to this, but I would always walk up and want to check out everybody's work. And then I would have this weird momentary feeling of guilt when I would walk away from a table that I hadn't bought anything because I was oh, like, yeah, yeah. I know how much time you spent on this. I appreciate it. I'm not, I just, I'm, I'm not going to grab something right now, but like, it's really dope to see this and thank you for doing it. You can't say all of that or people will think you're fucking crazy and you'll lose your voice by the end of the day. But like, there's a weird feeling of guilt that you have when you leave a table of, from, you know, somebody's and you, and then, you get through the corrals and you're kind of like checking everyone shit out and you're like, all right, I'm starting to normalize a little bit, but yeah, no, I understand. I, and New York, especially that artist alley is, is just like the cream of the crop, like some of the best of the best. So yeah, it's hard to walk the whole thing and and assess like what is going on. Like, yeah. Do you buy and, being the guy on the other side of the table, though, I will tell you this, man. If people come up to my table, look through my stuff, and and just say like, "Fantastic work, keep it up," and they take my card, that to me, man, it's like you don't have to buy my shit. Like, if sure. you just give me a quick props and you're a cool, polite person, like that goes a long way, man. It, it so I understand people are making their first round; they might not buy something yet, or maybe they don't have the money to buy anything at all. So. Just getting a quick moment of recognition with someone that is, but genuine. I mean that that works too. I mean that's I'll take it. You know, what of I mean? course, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All we all we ask is that people don't aren't assholes, aren't yeah. like, uh, disrespectful or or whatever. It, it you know it's a comic con. Sometimes there's obviously weird interactions that happen, but yeah, I've had the good fortune of of most people that approach me or that are interested in my work are like pretty cool, well-rounded people that aren't just into comic books. Like they're into music, they're into movies. And we, you know, we wind up having like a a cool chat or whatever. And I don't 
I don't think people need to feel obligated that they, they have to spend money, you know, since this, well, first of all, that's an extremely uh, generous point of view. And, and you've always been like a, a very humble dude. Like anybody that has ever Adam specifically dumper like most of the people I know that have interacted with you at, at shows or anything is, is that's, that's the general consensus from everybody, man, is that you're super approachable and very nice. And like, even if someone's, you know, maybe like you said, a, a little out there, like you, you take the time and you talk to them because they appreciate the work. And that's, there's a lot to be said for that. Um, cause a lot of guys don't, uh, but you know, since you brought it up, is there an interaction that you remember specifically from a show that was like super fucking out there? <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny, man. I was talking to my buddies. I was zooming with the other week about conventions used to be way weirder because before comics, the movies, everything went more, went mainstream and families started showing up to cons and, and more women started showing up. The cons were more of a concentrated gathering of intense nerds passionate nerds mostly dudes and so i can't recall a a specific one but but requests for commissions used to be weirder and creepier and like kinkier like sex kind of stuff naked wonder woman fetishy kind of stuff and and which i mean that's all fine i don't care but sure what i'm saying is like things have gotten way watered down now they've gotten more mainstream i mean dude as soon as i started seeing like families showing up like on vacation at comic-con like we yes kids, <laughs> or, I, I knew then that like okay comics comic cons as a culture this is a whole other thing now and i mean that's that's fine i don't care but um we me and my crew are old enough to have seen the transition happen because mm-hmm. we remember when like San Diego was like 90% just dudes hanging out. It was the cast of clerks. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you would occasionally see or mall them, rats. Like, it was mall rats mainly. Mall yeah. Rats. yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably closer. But you would occasionally see the, you know, like the the one girlfriend who had been dragged there by her guy. So pissed. Like, looking around, <laughs> like, what is what is all this? Like, yeah. But uh no, I mean, in general, I mean, I like the idea of a bunch of weirdos getting together and just celebrating the stuff that they're into. So if that's comics and art and uh, movies and video games, it's like, I don't I don't have a problem with that. You know, I, I wouldn't do the shows if I did. It would be, it would be weird to go into an environment for four intense days and be like hating every minute of it. Yeah. I, I couldn't do that. Do you think? Do you think that the the kind of uh, mom and pop crews started to show up around the same time that the movies became more mainstream? Yeah, it was a direct benefactor, right? Yeah, it was like um, noticeably. I almost want to say when like the first Avengers movie came out, because sure, we yeah. had Spider Man movies, we had X Men movies, but then. Uh, and maybe Iron Man. I think Iron Man, the first movie uh, that was like, I went to the Iron Man movie with a girl I was dating and, and it was her recommendation. And that to me was surprising. She was that like, was the moment. <laughs> I'm going to go see this Iron Man thing. And I'm like, 
oh, sure, you know, but I was like, oh, mainstream people that don't collect comic books know what Iron Man is now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's incredible because for me, Iron Man was always like one of the most bland characters in the Marvel comic books. Sure, yeah. The fact that they made this incredibly exciting movie with Robert Downey is amazing in that role. That, to me, was the... I think the big, big crossover moment. And then Avengers man was just like the one, two punch of everybody in the world now knows these characters and you can buy an Avengers t-shirt at target. Yeah. Or hot topic or hot topic <laughs> or wherever you want to buy a $12 t-shirt. Or whatever. Yeah. 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 But when I was a kid, man, growing up in St. Louis, being in the comics in the eighties, if you saw anyone in the city, wearing a comic book t-shirt, you would almost feel compelled to just go up to that person to start a conversation because it would be like, how do you even know about this? Like, yeah. how, how are you wearing an X-Men shirt right now? Like, this is, this is incredible. We have to talk. Like, we have to have a conversation and maybe become friends because no one else knows about this shit. Yeah. So, um, it, it's been interesting to see it all, uh, become part of our the fabric of our everyday culture you know i mean it was the biggest the infinity war is the biggest grossing movie of all time of all yeah. time i mean <laughs> that doesn't say something because i you know say what you will about the message but like the, the value of that entertainment man it's just unparalleled and you know the technology and everything else that's going on now i'm super stoked for what comes next because you know you have your, you know, old boys and these different genres of movies that are just so incredibly dope pre-existing, you know, the Avengers films and, and these right. other comic book movies. And I just, I know it's going to take a whole other shift soon and it's going to, it's going to become something else. It's like very unique. I love that they're starting to pick up a lot of the the darker, more alt, you know, uh, uh, graphic novels and, and, and comics and, and producing TV shows and stuff. It's not only good for the artists, obviously, but it's good for the, you know, the, it, it's good for the, the people that enjoy that stuff and, and, and not just the fans in, in the comic book world, but people find out about it outside, like walking, the walking dead is a gross generalization of that idea, but you know, the preacher being on, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, like that was that was a moment for a lot of people where they were like, holy fuck, you know, it's and, and it's it's just interesting to see how how far it's coming. And um, um, is there anything in particular that you're super excited about that that through like the grapevine is coming out soon? Well, I'm excited about th this animated project I'm working on is uh my Girl Scouts comic that I started in the 90s, this underground comic about these three girls that are drug dealers, we're doing an animated pilot of the Girl Scouts right now. And yes, the only thing I can say about it is we're doing it for one of the biggest corporations in the world. And if it gets picked up, it will be on one of the main streaming channels. And they're letting us do it adult style, super weird. And, uh, to me, man, that's a testimony of like where we're at culturally, where you can have a little bit of everything now. You can have a rated R style Martin Scorsese Joker movie. Mm -hmm. And then you can also have like 
a bright poppy Marvel movie. And then you can also give me an indie comics weirdo, hopefully my own cartoon show that still maintains the edginess and the weirdness because the content is just all over the board now. So, I mean, that's the thing I'm most excited about is, okay, you guys have seen that all these mainstream comics can be made into movies and TV shows and have appeal. What about letting the lunatics take over the asylum now and, and let's get it even more weird? Yeah. Let's man. get even more original ideas out there. And uh, my buddies at Titmouse Animation Studios just released that cartoon on Netflix called Midnight Gospel. Yes. Um, so good. Great, great, great cartoon. Super existential, super weird, super awesome. But after watching that last week, that gave me even more hope for Girl Scouts because I was like, if Netflix is going to go like this weird, then we can make my show. Like we, we can do what we're trying to do with Girl Scouts. I, but talk about it. Yes. And, and I mean, a match made in heaven. I mean, that, that show really, but between the animators and Duncan Trussell, I mean, that the whole thing just jives so well. And, a thousand percent, man. That door should have been swinging for many years before now. But the, I'm super pumped that it's open, and yeah. I'm fucking stoked. I'm looking forward to Girl Scouts. That's going to be amazing. I am, dude. I am too, man. It's been yeah, but, like it's funny because it just launched a couple of weeks ago, and we're uh, just in the writing phase right now of the pilot. But it is amazing to think like, well, we can we can still make animation even in quarantine, like everyone working from their homes, the animators will be working on their homes on the pilot. So this isn't stopping. So like we got, we signed our contracts and we got like our schedule from the corporation the next week of like, okay, you guys are starting. Like, here's your schedule, get going because we're excited. And now we want you to make the thing. Yeah. So we're making the thing and I'll, keep you updated as it develops and yeah uh, man let's you know let's let's do this again and and fucking talk about it once once things have progressed i'm i'm so fucking stoked for you definitely thank you that's awesome uh i i i want to i'm curious about one thing before uh we we cut off and i know i've I've kept you for for too long already um with an endless budget uh and yeah a time machine in the form of delorean uh what what artist would you commission or would you choose to collaborate with and what would that project look like man yeah i was giving this some thought um i mean it's hard to narrow things like this down but uh i would love to collaborate with jamie hewlett the original tank girl artist yeah artist and co-creator of all the gorilla stuff Mm-hmm. I would like to collaborate with him on some sort of comics, animated, music-related project, uh, tapping into... It's like, can we do an animated movie about the history of um, Miles Davis or Frank Zappa or Jake oh. Brown or something completely bugged out and psychedelic, maybe Sun Ra or something, but but like, yeah. can, we, can we do a multimedia music, art, comic, animated thing yeah together. you know that that is basically the first thing that came to my mind sure so i don't know how you execute that but uh i mean jamie and i have talked through email because i worked on the tank girl comics mm-hmm. and he had to sign off on all that 
Um, I have not met him yet, but he's still in my top five favorite guy, you know, artists of all time. And um, uh, he has the same sensibility with me with all this kind of music comics uh, obsession and stuff. So yeah, when, when the gorillas first came out, man, I was living in Arizona and I was like, so blown away by it, but also slightly jealous. Cause I was like, this is like what I wanted to do. Yeah. 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 Like I wanted to do something like this someday. And of yeah. course he's always one step ahead of me. So I figure at some point we're going to need to just do something. Yeah. I, I, I remember similarly uh, hearing that and seeing it. And then I saw it live ultimately, yeah. uh, which was absolutely fucking mind blowing. But um, the the illustration and the you know the the kind of pop funk and uh, musical style, and then fucking Dell coming in and like laying it down like and I grew up on Dell. I mean, Deltron Thirty Thirty is my top five albums of all time. I mean, I feel, I, I feel like it's never been given its credence for an art album. I, it just there's nothing that comes close to it. I don't think. Uh, and Dell in general, I feel like isn't talked about enough, but the, the artistic value that they were able to pull together from so many different places. That's so, I mean, it's people, I mean, I, I don't think pe- people really appreciate, people really appreciate it, but I don't think they appreciate how hard that is to have that symbiosis even to the extent of saying like getting those people together to do something together and for it to work is yeah. extremely difficult, but to have it be so seamless and work in such a harmony, it was fucking beautiful, man. I mean, it, I, yeah. So I, I, I was pleasantly surprised by that answer, but that's fucking awesome. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, that's just one of many projects, but, uh, hit me with a couple gonna, more. We got, I mean, if, if we're going to aim high, you know, and, you know, I don't know if you know Bilson Cabbage, if you know his work. Yes. He's another in my top five of all time. And, uh, I mean, him and I are actually buddies. Like I, I, I have hung out with him and, uh, done live art events with him. Mm-hmm. He's a brilliant auteur mastermind of, of mixed media styles, illustration, comics, but we've, we've talked about like, we need to do something together. I don't know what that is, but, um, you meet people along the journey of, of, of doing art and, and you always kind of make these plans of like, we should do something, man, we should figure something out. And sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't, but Bill's another guy that I'm, I'm always thinking of like, if I could do something with him, man, before this lifetime is, is over, like that would be another dream kind of project, you know? Okay. Uh, but yeah, man, I'm always, every year is different and, 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 um, I'm always open to new things. And if, if the Girl Scouts thing works out and we actually go to series, I mean, this will be a completely new thing for me. Like I've done animated stuff before I've had optioning deals in animation. I've done design work, but having my own show and working with a team to bring that to life, that'll be a brand new little like gemstone in the crown of my career of, yeah. of exciting shit man of being like okay well now i'm trying this now i'm doing this yeah so i like that idea of um starting off with something uh very simple a little black and white self-published underground comic book and that building into this bigger 
thing that's like almost alive and breathing if it's if it's animated or you know of course it's it's exciting it's cool yeah 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 i mean that that was uh i mean how far back does that go what was the first what what year was the first release of the original girl scouts uh 95 oh wow man that's that's unbelievable yeah if if that's not a if that's not a top to bottom story i don't know what is yeah and i mean we've seen them in different incarnations through the years in, in comic book form and uh we did a live action pilot with them in 2015 that people can check out on youtube just go to uh girl scouts pilot on youtube my buddy mike diva directed it he's an incredible director that just worked with um lonely island on their uh they did a thing on netflix called the bash brothers yes i saw uh, that yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah mike diva directed that and he directed the Girl Scouts thing we did a couple years ago. So I've seen all these different kind of things happen with it, but ultimately, man, to have my own cartoon show, like who doesn't want that? Like that would be the shit. Well, uh, it's a hundred percent deserved. And, uh, you know, I, I fucking look forward to talking about it more with you in the future, man. And, and- oh, we, we will. Honestly, this has been an absolute fucking pleasure. I I know you're, you you got a lot going on. I probably kept you longer than you have, but we're good. We're good. Yeah. I I really, really appreciate the the time you took out for this, man. My pleasure, Chad. Yeah. Thank you so much. Good talking to you. Yeah. You too. Can I do a shameless plug and say if people want to, um, plug plug everything, plug everything. Yeah. Uh, I do daily updates on Instagram and it's just, my name it's at Jim Mafood, um, and my website is jimmafood.com. Mm-hmm. That's all I'll, I don't want to overwhelm people. That that's all you need, and it's um, but yeah, every day on Instagram, I'm kind of showing in my Instagram stories like the process of what I'm working on, and uh, that's where I basically announce all my new projects and stuff. So that's my main hub is is my Instagram. I'm going to leave links to everything in the stories and uh, I'll tag you on, on the episode and, and uh, I'm stoked to follow along and, and see how this, this whole project progresses. And per, per the usual, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be tuning in regularly to see what you're working on, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chad. That was a great talk, man. I appreciate yeah. your time, brother. I appreciate you. I had a blast, dude. Oh, awesome, dude. I'll awesome talk to you, man. Take care of yourself. All right, you do the same.